0: All right, we're going to dig into a fun one today, an often very misunderstood passage. Turn the other cheek. Oh, that is annoying how that gets interpreted as we're just supposed to be weak and passive people. So that is not true. But I'm ahead of myself. (laughs) Matthew 5. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. A series called Build Your Life. Because the way Jesus finishes the whole sermon is a call to action. Where he sets forth this vision of the kingdom life that's possible. Here's what it looks like when God reigns in your life. But here's the challenge You can't just wake up and magically poof. You're walking in the fullness of the kingdom. That's not how it works. It's a relationship. So it's a constant ongoing, are you hearing these words and are you doing something with it? Are you repenting? Are you changing? Are you growing? Are you building your life on the rock? If you're not, you're not going to be walking in the abundant life. Jesus' message, in a way, is like, God's already done his part. You doing yours? It's a strong call to action, and I love it because I don't want to be a robot, right? I want an authentic relationship with God. It's not authentic if God just does it all. (laughs) He makes it all possible. He went through life, death, hell, and resurrection to make it possible, And we receive that. We believe that. And then we become a new person with the Holy Spirit inside of us. And now as we're going to continue to grow, 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 Jesus says, are you building your life? That's authentic relationship. So right in the middle of that, Jesus is teaching some very high standards that he actually believes are possible for you to live into. As you ongoingly submit, surrender, repent to the lordship of Jesus, of God in your life, and you watch God grow your character in a way that you actually know is impossible on your own. It's beautiful. So here's one of them. Matthew 5:38. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil person. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek... Turn to him the other one also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your tunic as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse one who would borrow from you. This is a tough text as often interpreted and understood. It's turned a lot of people off. I might say maybe even especially men who feel like this is just a call to be weak. Avoid confrontation. Be passive. Oh, just, just turn the other cheek. <laughs> be like Jesus. So for those who want to follow Jesus it seems to be saying hey we should allow ourselves to be walked all over be the doormat in the name of being a Christian you, can, you just allow yourself to be abused does following Jesus mean you become weak and passive good <laughs> many think so Good, all right, we're done, let's go. <laughs> the greatest source of learning about what Jesus really believed is looking at his life. And that, by the way, the greatest source of finding out what anyone believes. <laughs> look at their life. That's what they actually believe. If you look at the life of Jesus, does this description, weak, passive, doormat, who Jesus is and how he lived? Was he weak when he saw the merchants in the temple cheating those who they were selling goods to? I mean, the, the passage is crazy. It says that when Jesus saw that injustice taking place, He tied together a cord of strands and made a whip (laughs) and drove them out with a whip. So, I mean, that part is amazing, but this man, someone needs to make a cool movie out of this. When Jesus sees it, he, you know, I'm imagining he's observing what's going on. And so he goes and he just takes a seat. And he goes to the, the, the leather maker, and he goes. He, he pays him. Say, like, I gotta like these uh, you know these three strands of leather right here. And then he just gets on a little seat and he's watching. And in 100% premeditation of what he's about to do, he fashions a whip, thinking about what's about to happen on the spot. And then he takes the whip, and he gets so aggressive with the whip that it drives out all of the merchants from the temple because they are scared that they are going to be injured by the man with the whip. That's a picture (laughs) of Jesus turning the other cheek. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's like, oh, turn the other cheek. Come on, we got to look at the life of Jesus. Be careful how we interpret stuff. Jesus sees injustice happening. And does he just weakly, passively, timidly just allow it to continue? No, he directly confronts it. Or you think about Jesus in the scene, multiple scenes, where the religious leaders have caught or confronted a woman who is deemed to be unworthy, unclean, not a child of God, unforgivable. Whether it's the the woman who washes Jesus's feet with her tears and she, you know, she busts into this scene where Jesus is having dinner with the the righteous people and she sees Jesus and we don't know much about her, maybe it's Mary Magdalene, maybe it's not, but she just forces her way into this room and washes Jesus' feet with her tears and and Jesus receives that love and then the righteous one or the self-righteous Pharisee says, oh, how are you letting this kind of woman do that to you? And does Jesus just kind of let that self-righteous aggression towards him and this woman just... He just, he just sits with it. Not at all. He turns and he said, you haven't washed my feet. Yet she has washed my feet with her tears. She has been forgiven much because she loved much. Or she knows that she's been forgiven of much, so now she loves much. She is the beloved daughter of God. You, at this point... Are still in question. That is a strong response over and over and over. Jesus is not weak, passive, timid, afraid of confrontation. He regularly, directly confronts evil with truth and goodness. And so when we come into this passage, we have to be very careful that we are not allowing what seems like an easy interpretation, especially in our day, 2,000 years removed from this context, just be like, oh, yeah, he's just saying, just be weak, timid, pastor, allow yourself to be abused, and it's somehow a Christ-like thing to do. As we have seen over and over in the Sermon on the Mount, over and over in Jesus' life, Jesus is an intentional confrontation with the status quo. His life really could be summed up as the conf- a confrontation with the powers that be. The status quo of the broken and fallen world and weak and passive does not fit at all. It does not fit with who Jesus is, how he lives his life, or how he teaches his followers to be in his Sermon on the Mount. So what's going on here? In a a brief summary, I will assert that Jesus is still working off of that same framework that he does in all of these ethical commands that we've been studying the last five weeks, where there's an old way or an old command It's not necessarily a bad command or a wrong command. It's just Jesus is going to contrast it. You have heard it was said. So it's this old way versus, but I say to you. So Jesus is really making himself the authoritative word of God in the flesh. Because a lot of times, the old way, he's directly quoting Old Testament scripture. And he says, but I say to you. So he's asserting an even higher law. That's why he says at the beginning of it that those who follow me will have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. He's not joking because they follow the law to the every jot and tittle, right? And Jesus says, but (laughs) you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So Jesus is going after a new law, a higher law that flows out of a transformed heart surrendered to God. That is not going to be sufficient to just go through the outward actions so jesus's new higher law is going to be asserted and then jesus always gives a specific action step or practice something for us to do to put it into practice because that's what it takes to be transformed in our heart mind and character is to put it into practice to be poor in spirit and say okay here's the new vision of life but god help me i can't do this I can put it into practice. I can try. I can let your Holy Spirit help me. I can let your Holy Spirit show me where I need to grow, where I need to be transformed. And you put it into practice. And the Holy Spirit transforms us as we put it into practice. So with that framework, it fits once again. The old way, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye. That's an Old Testament command. Happens in multiple different places. It was intended as a crime deterrent and or a just recompense in a court of law. It was meant to be something where people could trust that when they were wronged, the court would bring a just recompense. But like many things that were intended in God's law, they were cheapened. We saw that with divorce. We saw that with oaths where God's intended laws were cheapened over time by the brokenness of humanity trying to justify ourselves. Similarly, this got cheapened over time, and an eye for an eye just became a mantra that was a personal justification for vengeance. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and says, no, I've got a new and higher law. Break the cycle of vengeance. And here's how you do it. Through powerful, direct confrontation. And he gives three examples. They're all cultural examples, and that's why we have a hard time with them. They go right over our heads. So let's dig into them. Each of these three examples, watch for it is not a call to be weak and passive, but a call to creatively, powerfully, actively, directly confront evil without resorting to evil. And that's the key. Because an eye for an eye, when taken personally, as you are your own judge, jury, and executioner, you become part of the problem. You become one seeking vengeance in your own name. And man, that just makes a mess of stuff. Because then that other person thinks they've been wronged by you. And they're going to seek vengeance. And then you're going to feel justified in seeking vengeance. And you have a vicious cycle of revenge going back and forth. And Jesus says, this has got to stop. My people are the ones who are going to stop it. So here's three examples. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also so there we go. famous turn the other cheek sounds pretty passive pretty weak the strong thing to do would be punch them back right this sounds weak sounds like ah, oh, you just just let them hit you again good shot here's another one you're just weak you're just laying down rolling over but culturally here's where we got to put ourselves into their world In that day to be struck on the cheek was an insult of inferiority because it meant that you were struck like this it was a backhand against the cheek which was which was reserved culturally for slaves and children and it was a message from the giver that I am superior to you, know your place. So it's a backhanded slap across the face. And so, after being insulted and treated as inferior, Jesus says, turn the other cheek to them. So you've been smacked. So what do you do? You turn the other cheek. Culturally, in the day, what that means is, if you are going to hit me, you're going to have to do it not with the back of your hand, but with the front of your fist, in order to treat me as an equal in this fight. So I know that's way different and way weird from our world, but to give the other cheek, to turn it, is a way of... Culturally communicating a message, a powerful, direct confrontation that says, I am not your inferior. Because that's the message that was being shared with this. So you do something. Look, is this weak? Is this passive? No. It is intentional. It is direct. It is creative to stand up for yourself with a cultural message that says, I am not your inferior. If you're going to do this again, you're doing this in a way where this is a man-to-man fight, so to speak. I'm not letting you treat me as an inferior. I'm giving you the message, I am not your slave. So notice the verb turn is in the imperative. It is a command. It is a call to action. That shows activity, not passivity. You choose. You choose to have the strength and the power when you are being treated with less dignity than you deserve. You choose to have the strength and the power to respond in a way that says, I am not your inferior. Jesus commands us to initiate an action that sends a jolting message that you are not inferior and you are worthy of more than an insult. It's creative, powerful confrontation of evil without becoming evil. That's what we need to take in our world right now. This is not Jesus' 101 class on martial arts. This is when you are treated as inferior, how do you respond? And Jesus said, find the the culturally shocking message, the the culturally shocking way to send a clear message, I do not see myself as your inferior. You're going to have to treat me as an equal. So that's up to you and the Holy Spirit and the context in which you are at that moment to creatively, powerfully stand up and send that message. That's what Jesus is saying. And he goes on. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your tunic as well. So this is another common situation of the times. A legal situation in a courtroom in which a, typically, rich, powerful landowner or boss is trying to take advantage of the less powerful one who had little more than two garments to their name. The inner garment called the tunic and the outer, outer garment called a coat. So Jesus comes along and says, yeah, when that happens, just roll over and let him take advantage of you. That's how we interpret it, right? Not at all. Jesus is calling for a shocking type of action, a cultural message that when done in the courtroom would hopefully stun the perpetrator into seeing how shameful... Their action is. Like literally, if you take off your tunic in the courtroom, that would in effect leave you naked in front of everyone. Hopefully shocking those present into the awareness of how wrong it is for a rich boss to come after someone who only has two pieces of clothes to their name. And notice again, rather than a call to passivity, there is an imperative verb that calls us to action. Give, give your tunic. So you're coming, if you, <laughs> this is power. If you have something to give, you're the powerful one. Jesus said, you have something to give in this moment to shock the status quo, to wake them up to the injustice that they are willing to perpetrate against you. Creatively, powerfully confront evil without becoming evil. And the last one, Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. This revert, refers to, once again, a current context. Context. The current military occupations, occupation by Rome of Israel carried with it a Roman law that stated that a soldier was permitted to enlist any Jewish bystander to help with a task of carrying their equipment up to one mile. So, Roman soldier walks by centurion you look you know of decently able strength they could say you know what I'm a little tired you carry that for me the next mile and you by Roman law under threat of death had to stop what you were doing and carry it with them carry it for them up to 1 mile but the law the Roman law said but no further than that theoretically they had to stop at 1 mile say thank you for your service give it back you go along with about your day. So again, is Jesus saying, hey, let them take advantage of you and and do whatever they ask and more? Not at all. He is saying to respond with an action of goodness that they don't deserve carry their stuff two miles without even asking. And maybe when they see you doing that, it just might awaken their soul a little bit to the reality of the indignity of their actions. Once again, rather than passivity, there is an imperative verb In Jesus' words, a command, a call to action, he says, go, go with them two miles. In each of these examples, Jesus does not call us, does not call you in the face of evil to just lay down, be passive, be weak, allow bad things to happen to you. Rather, he calls you to take the powerful, proactive decision to confront the evil with some kind of direct action that is meant to overcome the evil without you becoming evil. The fundamental idea behind this kingdom practice is to do something so different than the status quo so different than what broken humanity is capable of on our own strength, that it just might awaken the soul of those who are on the receiving end, awaken them to a new possibility, a new way of living, maybe even a new kind of world, a new kind of kingdom that's breaking in in this moment. What would happen if, empowered by God's spirit, you could respond to evil by powerfully commanding dignity, powerfully, humbly exposing greed, overcoming evil with good? Jesus is not saying, be weak and passive. It's the way of the kingdom. He's... Offering a creative, powerful way forward. These are just a few sketches from his cultural day that he just, in a sense, pulled off the top of his head. Things that are the daily evils, injustices that the people listening would face. So we should not get hung up on those specific examples. It's about the message of are you living out a new kingdom ethic that overcomes evil with undeserved, shocking goodness that just might break the vicious cycle of vengeance that plagues our world still today. How do you do this? (laughs) I have used the word powerful over and over. Because I do believe that's what's happening. Jesus is calling us to be so powerful that we have something to give away in a moment of injustice coming against us. That we have risen so, though we're being victimized, you could say, we are not the victim. We are so Powerful in the moment, we have an ability to stand up and give something to the one who is wronging us. How on earth or heaven do we become that powerful? Here's an example. When Jesus is able on the cross to say to those who are unjustly torturing and murdering him, Father, forgive them. That is one, I submit to you, of the most powerful moments in human history. Has a human being ever displayed more power to give than to forgive his torturers and murderers In the moment that it's happening, that is power that just might change the world. Similarly, similarly, similitude, you know what I'm saying. Jesus is calling us to be little Christs that would have that same kind of power to give away. To those who wrong us and it just might bring his kingdom but you have to know your value your dignity your power your worth before you can give it away otherwise it is abuse and jesus does not call you to be abused So, how do you become so powerful that when you're being wronged, you have something to give away? Let me pause on an answer for one moment and go to a silly life story where I saw this principle take place. This is not a story about good parenting. This is a story about an observation that I think is exactly the idea that you have to become powerful before you can give power away. Otherwise, you're just being abused. So, when our little Daniel, meek and mild, was three years old, yeah, this is a good story. I said, this is not a parenting story, so I am not saying repeat this, although I love it. So little Daniel was 3 years old. We were at a friend's house. And he came to us crying. And he his story was my friend, and these guys are little friends, they're like 3 years old. He's like my friend pushed me over. And we we're just kind of, we honestly kind of like ignored him. If like stop it. You're fine. Go back. Just play. And a few more minutes come by, he comes to us. He's got little Tears in his eyes. And he says, He keeps pushing me over. He won't stop. Every time I walk over there, he pushes me down. And I saw that something turned on in me as dad in that moment where I saw the fear in his eyes. This is his little friend. Like they're supposed to be hanging out, having fun. But he's kind of getting a little bullied in a way. You know, don't take that word too far. But I saw, here's what I saw the fear in his eyes. I saw that he didn't like being treated like that, and, and here was the problem. And he thought he could do absolutely nothing about it, and so it was, it was weakening his soul. He was you know, receiving abuse, if you will. I know that's extreme language, but follow me on the analogy. I saw his little soul feeling like I'm weak, I'm just getting beat up, there's nothing I can do about it, and the fear in his eyes, the shame, the weakness. I saw that in a moment. I said, okay, buddy, go back there. If he does it again, you stand up and you push him down. woo Did we unleash a lion? <laughs> so it happened again. And he got pushed down. He stood up and he pushed the little dude back. And then he comes back and we saw it and we watched. And guess what? He never got pushed down again. And here's the thing, they made up, they're fine, They're, they're buddies, they moved on within two minutes, but what it did for Daniel was show him, you have a power and a worth and a dignity that you should not be abused, so you can, and God wants you, Daddy wants you to stand up for yourself, push him back, just this one time, don't hurt him, don't punch him in the face, push him down, and show you that you are not allowed to be messed with. And he did it. And from that moment, there was a power in him that he knew that in those kind of moments, he's powerful. What if I had said to him, you know what? Well, that's just kind of what you're worth. Just, just take it. That there's something inside the soul that says, oh, I'm worthy to be abused. I, 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 just have to, I just have to allow people to treat me bad. That says something about his worth, value, and dignity, right? Right? So you need to know you're powerful before you can give it away. So like I said, that is not a parenting tactic and it has really nothing to do with spiritual. It's just a fun story, but it's true in this sense. You have to know you're powerful before you can be asked to give power away. And that's what Jesus is going after. So back to our question, how on earth do we get so powerful that in the face of being wronged, we have something to give it away? And here's the answer. And this is the answer for the whole Sermon on the Mount. Go back to the beginning. What's the first thing Jesus said? The Beatitudes. Those are your identity in God's eyes. You want to get powerful? If the nine blessings of the Beatitudes become your reality, become your very personal, powerful, and present experience of God as your identity, as his beloved child, you are going to be wildly powerful in this world. Think about what they say. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Well, when you have all of heaven to give away, you're pretty powerful. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, when you go through hard times, you God himself who sees you, who cares, who is with you, he will be the healer of your heart and the lifter of your head. Even when you go through hard things, you got God with you to heal your heart. That makes you powerful. Blessed are the peacemakers, for you shall be called the children of God. What is that about? That's about you know that God has gone to such great lengths to make peace with you though undeserving, that now you want to be like your heavenly father and give away that kind of peace to the world. You want to bring reconciliation to the world between you and God and you and others, even when they don't deserve it, because that's what God did for you. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When you are in touch with the level of undeserved goodness, mercy, that you have been shown like that prostitute who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, guess what? You become powerfully merciful. So the answer to how you get powerful is soak in your identity in Christ. Over and over and over. There's nine Beatitudes that are so deep and profound about your identity in Christ, you could take an entire lifetime We will take an entire lifetime soaking in the profundity, the depth, the power, the goodness of those blessings in your life. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Remember, blessed means take joy in the undeserved favor of God that is upon your life. The more and more you are in touch with the undeserved favor of God upon your life, you become powerful. And like Jesus, you've got something to give away, even in the face of evil and injustice, but it's so powerful, it just might change the world. That's what he's going after. I think I'm done.
1: (laughs) Before Casey started sharing, I kept hearing the word, enablement, divine enablement, and it's funny because we normally listen to the Lord come together and put the message together from that point, and we just had such a busy week that I didn't even know what he was going to talk about, (laughs) And um, but it's really fitting because for all of this, when we are responding in these ways, when we are powerfully confronting evil without resorting to evil, we need to have dependence on Christ. Because if we react in our flesh and out of our flesh, we will bring destruction and the kingdom of the enemy. And we will not bring the kingdom of our God, his lordship, his goodness, his love, everything he died on the cross to bring. He paid for all of our sins. And he wants to bring his goodness into every situation. So I just felt like I was hearing the word divine enablement. Because none of this can be done in our flesh. And I think what's so important is that in that moment, when we've got that hand coming against our cheek. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think most of us, unless we've undergone traumatic abuse, which happens and we need to pursue healing in our hearts and restoration so that we can feel power. Most of us fight back when something comes against us. Most of us just want to react in this kind of like gritty like like I'm going to get you. And that's not the kingdom. The kingdom isn't going to come to earth by us reacting in our flesh. It's going to come to earth by us uniting with him and receiving the divine enablement of Christ. The resurrection power where the old man is gone. The new man is alive. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse was over and over and over and over in my head this morning. I've been crucified with Christ. It is, we live with His power, with resurrection power. And there is a divine death to self that needs to regularly and readily happen if we want to live in resurrection power.
0: I will sing a new song I will sing a new song I will dance a new dance like David dance